Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Sharing My Disability Story podcast. My name is Stephen Jones and I'm the founder of Disability Connect, a diversity consultancy business. We provide honest, constructive and first-hand disability insight to organisations and individuals. Sharing insight on diversity inclusion is what we love to do, whether it's via our reverse mentoring, during training and insight sessions at speaking events or in our new podcast. So in today's podcast episode, we're talking to Harry Waterman. So Harry is a good friend of mine. He previously worked for Direct Entry Solutions as a customer service administrator, and for the last five years has worked for Deutsche Post in a number of customer-facing roles, and is currently a customer solutions manager. So Harry has a strong interest in film and cinema, and attends conventions every year, don't you, Harry? Yeah, I do, yeah. Yeah, this is like a little hobby of mine. And you also dress up, don't you, in cosplays? I do, yeah, I do. And, and what was your last character? Um, my last character was Patrick Bateman from American Psycho. So I had a, uh, like a Mac on, covered in all the blood with an axe, and uh, it was about in 20, 24, 5 degree heat, so it wasn't, it wasn't <laughs> a vibe, but it was, yeah, it was fun. Brilliant, we'll have to uh, find some pictures of you and post it with yes, the podcast episode. absolutely, yeah. <laughs> no, brilliant, well really good to see you Harry, and you're also writing a novel as well, and actually both me and Harry are part of the same book club, and we're currently reading Twilight, believe it or not, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, we are, yeah, it's, uh, it's been fun. One of your favourite books? Yeah, well, <laughs> it definitely is now. <laughs> brilliant, and... Harry has a formal diagnosis of Attention Deficit Hyperactive Disorder, so ADHD for short, which is a neurodiverse condition that affects people's behaviour. And Harry will be sharing his unique um, story and journey from diagnosis to current day to day. Um, But just before I open up the conversation, I want to say that disability is really unique to everyone. And Harry will be sharing his own personal experiences, but won't be speaking on behalf of the whole disabled community and on behalf of everyone that has ADHD. Um, and everyone's experiences with different disabilities are different. So, Harry, welcome to the show and really good to see you. Thank you. Nice to see you. <laughs> and so just to kick off with a nice, easy question. So can you just tell me a bit more about what ADHD actually is and what causes it? Yeah, so I think it's important what you said before about, um, you know, not speaking for the whole community because every, it will mean completely different things to everybody that has it. And everyone's, it's a very wide and broad diagnosis and it's... um. It's both a diagnosis that's kind of can can occasionally be given out too easily, I think, and also one that's not given out enough, really. Um, it's essentially what it means is it can be broken down into three general pillars, and those are your three kind of umbrella symptoms of ADHD, um, which are inattention. So it's a general kind of not being able to focus very well, kind of um, drifting off slightly when you're speaking, uh, not being able to, not so much hold a conversation, but struggling to kind of engage in it as much as the other person is, or especially when it's in a group of people, that can be really challenging. Um, Also forgetfulness comes under inattention and general kind of um, lateness and timekeeping and stuff is a bit of an issue. 
second is hyperactivity so it's uh, that can be broken down quite a bit as well you could say hyperactivity comes from a social kind of aspect where it's uh, talking maybe slightly too quickly trying to talk all at once you know trying to do a million things at once um, being involved in so many different things but it can also be a real physical thing as well you mm-hmm. know an actual inability to sit still mm-hmm. um, and moving a lot when it doesn't the the situation doesn't really warrant it is a big symptom of that hyperactivity thing because mm-hmm. every diagnosis of ADHD does tend to come in childhood but it's um the hyperactivity side it's a different kind of hyperactivity and that's where I mean it's diagnosed far too easily sometimes people self-diagnose and think well I love a run and I love you know I can get up really easily in the morning and I um I'm very hyper you're actually probably just high energy you know and it's um it's not the same thing as a real hyperactivity issue and uh, the third one is impulsivity so that's where you're maybe not thinking before you do things um really common in childhood diagnosis is the impulsivity bit it's not thinking about things before you do them in the sense of Obviously, as a child, you're scolded by your parents. You're scolded at school for doing things incorrectly or wrong. You'll continue to do those things in a kind of attention-seeking way, uh, maybe. That's how it can be perceived. But actually, it's because you get that intrusive thought of doing something and there's not that part of your brain that stops you from doing it. And that's where that impulsivity bit comes from. So those are the three pillars of ADHD. Um, And then you have three... Uh, subtypes of ADHD as well. You have mm-hmm. uh, predominantly inattentive, uh, which is the third, the first pillar, sorry, uh, predominantly hyperactive, and then you have combination, and I'm combination. So I have, uh, I was diagnosed initially with basically both, both, um, all three pillars mm-hmm. of the um, disorder, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, in terms of what causes it uh, there's not a known cause so it's it's been thought of that potentially it's a chemical kind of imbalance mm-hmm. um, it's been linked to oxygen levels of birth under birth size you know weight of when you're born um, like a lot of other neurological kind of issues are linked to that kind of thing it's also very it's more strongly believed that it's genetic that there is actually a kind of genetic um passed down of like a certain gene but they've still not been able to really isolate what causes it but um, my dad was diagnosed with ADHD as well mm-hmm. so it's yeah it's genetic for me really mm-hmm. no thank you for sharing that Harry that's interesting to hear about the almost the under and over diagnosis sometimes and mm. um and can you just tell us a bit more about I suppose your diagnosis process and how your how that how you went through that process and how potentially your family reacted to it yeah so i think for my family it was a relief because i was i was a bit of a terror growing up <laughs> <laughs> like it was it was very it was diagnosed i think by everybody before i was okay. you know but before i was officially diagnosed and i think that's that's where a lot of that self diagnosis or mm. incorrect diagnosis can come from because it can actually be quite harmful for children yeah. whereas actually they may need an outlet or they may need a bit more attention at home or in school or maybe they just have a different learning journey to other children they're just diagnosed quickly with having um ADHD or ADD and they're kind of just you know put into a category of 
problem children that have something wrong with them. Whereas actually there could be behavioral problems and stuff. Um, so my experience with ADHD and being diagnosed was I was diagnosed officially when I was um, just before my eighth birthday. Okay. Yeah. So the diagnosis process is you um, that you usually just go see a GP mm-hmm. and you get diagnosed with something that they call um, I can't remember the official term for it, but it's basically potential to have ADHD. And then you um, then there's an observation period. So basically, my mum got given a checklist of things to look out for. Will symptoms improve after? I think it's six weeks. So it's six weeks of my mum just having to kind of uh, deal with me <laughs> as best as she could. And then you come back for a kind of consultation after that window. And then you get referred to, usually it's a behavioural therapist, mm. but it could be a paediatrician or it could be um, somebody that just specialises in ADHD and childhood neurological behavioural issues. Um, and mine was just a um, like a behavioural therapist, like a kind of, that gave me that official, mm. you know, diagnosis. Then that's passed back to the doctors and stuff and you get the opportunity to requests like medication and stuff um which i didn't go on mm-hmm. i was like unmedicated okay and and interestingly so when you got that official diagnosis i know you were only eight years old so you yeah. probably don't remember that but was there any sort of reflections from your mum at that time thinking actually what what did that mean to her i think it was it was like a, more of a relief because you know she Again, because it stems a lot in your behaviour, you know, she may have thought, you know, well, what am I doing wrong? You know, what am I not giving this child that they need? Mm. And I think it helped a lot more. It helped actually less with my mum because my mum was brilliant. You know, I I couldn't fault her. She may think that she did things wrong or maybe, you know, didn't do it the right way. But after the diagnosis, she got the advice that she needed and she got that kind of support. Um... She knew to look for resources to have an ADHD child because it is difficult. Mm. It's really difficult, you know. It's well, I don't know, but I can imagine. <laughs> you know, I wasn't, eight, so I yeah. know it was. It was difficult for her, um, but she then had that. You know, after that, she got the resources she needs from the doctors, from ADHD, um, and you know, specialists and things that she could get. Um, mm. She chose to, and then as well, sorry, the school. So it helped a lot in school because they then knew what was, what I I had to have Mm. concessions, you know, and I had to have slightly different method of teaching. Yeah. Because otherwise I just wouldn't have learned. Mm. And then, you know, they were great. I can't fault the schools in any way. I don't have any, before I was diagnosed, I do, you know, I don't think they dealt with it in the right way. Mm. But then I don't know what it's like in schools now. Yeah. It's probably a lot better and a lot more kind of um, people are aware of it a bit more. And they're not just cl- labelled a class clown or a problem child like, mm. you know, I was basically growing up. Um, but then after the diagnosis, like I said, the schools just had a lot more, again, resource to deal with it. And mm. I was put in the right place and, you know, which was extra learning and extra, you know, um, whereas there'd be some classes I wouldn't go to, I'd go somewhere else, which was like a kind of more of a, um, it's just a different style of learning, really, mm-hmm. that helped. 
So it sounds like that formal diagnosis actually really helped it did. Your, your family and yeah. schools as well to put those adjustments in yeah. that you really needed to help you learn yeah. um, like everyone else could. Mm, yeah, and I, I think my mum made the decision to not medicate me because um, back again, it might be different now because I haven't sought any adult uh, referral for medication on, for ADHD. I've thought about it and I've considered it um, in adulthood, but as a child, the... Um, the the side effects and everything of what they give you was quite severe, and okay. it's still. I, th- I think it continues to be. I think it's still, you know, it could be severe weight loss. It can be a lot of the similar symptoms to being um, prescribed with antidepressants. Okay, it's you know mm-hmm. lack of motivation. You can lose your sex drive. You can lose your kind of general being. And um, as an adult, as well as, you know, even a child, trying to learn during school, it could have had the entire opposite effect. Mm. Whereas I couldn't focus, then suddenly, um, and I couldn't focus because I'm too busy focusing on something else, which changes to can't focus on anything at all. That's kind of the, some of the side effects that come from those medications. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and so you, you spoke a bit about, I suppose, the adjustments you got when you were at school and sort of growing up. And... Um, at work now and in your day-to-day life, how does ADHD impact you at the age of 27, aren't you, Harry? So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't have any real concessions at work, and it's kind of... I don't really like to... I mean, it's, it's funny, because I mention it quite a lot sometimes, mm-hmm. and I'll say, you know, I, I do make a joke, or I'll try and look on the bright side of it and say, well, you know, that's I have ADHD and this and that, and... Um, my, when I started at the job I'm in currently, because I've been in post for and parcels for like seven or eight years, and now I'm kind of moving more into an IT side of the business, but I've worked in sales, I've worked in customer services. Um, and it, when I started at Deutsche Post, it was my boss at the time that also had ADHD that okay. instantly recognised that I did as well um, because of this the, the, the way I go about my work. And I think he just noticed a lot of himself in me and said... And we just had an impromptu conversation about it. He said, you know, do you have ADHD? And I was like, yes. And then he said, well, you know, so do I. Um, and after that, I don't think there was an official kind of any concession because thankfully mine's not as severe in adulthood as it was as a child. Okay. And I've come up with so many kind of coping mechanisms of my own to, to not need them. Um, it did still help everybody knowing because it just, you know, it meant that little things that I did and said and stuff and maybe acted sometimes were a bit more understood, mm. you know. It was kind of... But in terms of physical concessions, you know, thankfully I don't have a requirement for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it sounds like your employer is quite a safe space for you to actually be able to declare that you have ADHD. Yeah, yeah, I feel like there is, yeah. It's, um, it's a very wide... Um, group and a diverse group and I've never once felt like working for Deutsche Post DHL group that there's any kind of you know um, like I would be shut away or I'd have to hide that Mm -hmm. yeah Um, and I think as well just generally in the world now everybody can talk about everything and it's Mm. it's you know there's a real encouragement to talk a general encouragement in society to talk about things with each other Mm -hmm. whether it's mental health or your disabilities or any kind of you know experiences in life that you have that you may feel are very unique to you 
you should talk about them and there's an encouragement to talk about them and I think that's mm. that's really positive and really yeah. helpful I think as well and 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 I suppose just thinking about your workplace and within Deutsche Post how have they made that environment inclusive and welcoming and a space where you feel like you can talk about your ADHD um I think it's just a general I mean I'm very lucky to work with good people yeah. you know because it is driven by people um whoever's in charge of that kind of you know those diversity pushes and things and whoever's running those and how much you know focus they have on team culture and stuff I think is responsible a lot of it comes down to them um but there's just a general kind of really positive attitude at that at my work which I kind of am really happy to have Mm -hmm. and lucky because it's not like that everywhere Mm -hmm. you know and I think um yeah, my I'm very good at controlling mine to the point where it doesn't come out all the time. Mm. You know, and it's not like I've had um, elocution lessons because I spoke too fast. I've had um, therapy sessions. I've had CBT sessions. Um, I've had specific training um, with ADHD and in the workplace. And so these are all things that are available to everybody, you know, and they're, they're things that help you adapt because you can't, whilst I'm not ashamed to have ADHD, mm. it's, it isn't a very sociable um, condition. You know, mm. it's not, it's not something that you can just live with and say, well, I'm, I am who I am, you know, and, and take me or leave me because I, I wouldn't, you know, be able to succeed Mm. in work and I think a lot of other people wouldn't either Mm. and taking the choice to not medicate it I did have to do a lot of you know like I said CBT and elocution lessons and everything to learn how to control the way I speak and the way I act and the way I am and it's yeah Mm -hmm. yeah which I which I'm glad I did a lot of and I had a lot of that through work Mm -hmm. through DHL I had a lot of that Mm. which was brilliant yeah yeah, that sounds really positive and sounds mm. like a really supportive employer which helps you to sort of gain access to those and I think one of the struggles with ADHD and other neurodivergent disabilities are that they're hidden so yeah. unlike my disability so I, I use a wheelchair it's very visible so everyone knows mm. if I need a door opening or yeah. you know or a lift or or a ramp or anything like that sort yeah. of thing and that isn't sort of enough in today's neurodiverse world. Um, definitely not. And, mm. and and you've spoken a lot there about the negative impacts of having ADHD. But would you say you have any sort of strengths or skills from having ADHD? Um, yeah, I would, to be fair. I think especially as an adult, I've kind of learned to not only accept it, but also use it slightly. And you know, I don't want to be... I think it's... <laughs> It can be a little bit cringe, you know, to call it like a <laughs> like a superpower or something yeah. like that. But I've heard it discussed like that before with other adults that have ADHD, and then you know the the energy level is good mm. sometimes because it's helped in getting up early, you know. And it because I'm not a morning person, but mm. I do find that energy from somewhere, and I find it it's. In adulthood, my brain has kind of learned to work in time with conversations. Whilst there are days and there are moments and conversations even where I struggle to have that because a part of ADHD is um, 
is that inattentiveness and it's mm-hmm. that kind of you really do sometimes have to when you're having a conversation with someone really engage with them and you have to concentrate almost like on their face like you're reading a book mm. because if you don't it can you can really easily get distracted not only do you maybe look somewhere else you would not just look at somewhere else but you'll not stop thinking about what you've just looked at and what's next to it and then what's behind it and what's you know and what did you think about that when actually someone's talking to you and mm. you've completely lost where they are um that comes in handy sometimes because you're focusing so hard you can have really good conversations with people and whereas some people that maybe are um not they don't have ADHD they they don't focus as hard when they're speaking to somebody they can actually come across you know rude they can come across that actually you know when we've all met people like that we've met people that go well you know I don't feel like they're listening to me um actually with ADHD people whereas they have a you know we all have a negative kind of um, stereotype of not listening and not being able to engage actually we're some of the best listeners because we focus so hard on it and it's not that we're bored all the time or we're kind of wanting to go somewhere else or end the conversation it's just that we that that is a struggle to engage that and I it, with me it's, stru- it's the biggest struggle out in bigger groups because I have to focus on what everybody's saying and then so one thing that I'd heard about ADHD before, again, somebody told me, was that it's like somebody giving you a pen and pad and saying, go into the next room and record everything you hear on the radio in there. But when you walk in, there's seven radios. That's kind of what it's like. And that's a really good um, way of explaining it. Um, so, yeah, I do struggle in a slightly bigger group. Um, but, yeah, that listening is a really good thing that I've taken from it. Um, the energy levels again is a really positive thing um, and I do try and look on the positives you know to understand where I'm getting the good stuff from um, but yeah I think that's probably about it really mm. you know I, I think those are the at least the key just the general energy you know the multitasking is also yeah. quite good you know I can I can focus on multiple things at once because my attention is being anyway you know, I'm focusing on things multiple times. Um, so, yeah, it's, I, I will, I won't lie, there are more negatives, <laughs> but it's, the positives are at least there, you yeah. know, and I, and I don't struggle to focus on those instead of the negatives, because the negatives I've lived with for years, mm. and what I have, haven't been able to change, I've just lived with, you know, mm-hmm. um, like I will forget things all the time leaving the house, like every day. It's going back because I've forgotten my keys. Um, and you're walking to the car and not having anything. You know, it's things like that. And I'm outside and I'm getting in the car without my car keys, my bag, you know, anything. That's something that you just can't. A note on the wall with a checklist of what to take out that morning won't help. <laughs> that's just not a, yeah. you know, there's things that you just live with. Mm, mm. Uh, thanks for sharing that, Harry. I think it's really interested on the listening point Mm. because it's such a big skill to have really really listening to someone yeah and someone said to me the other day are are you listening or are you thinking about what what you're going to say next yes yeah and that's always such a good test isn't it about actually are you active listening so it sounds like you've got a bit of a superpower there yeah if you don't mind the yeah don't mind the cringe (laughs) especially during some conversations yeah as well you know like (laughs) there's some work conversations you know it does help to um yeah a conversation having ADHD is quite funny as well because that was 
I think one of the first things I realised as well was when I was talking to people, even after I'd been diagnosed, as, as an adult, I started thinking, you know, it's sometimes hard to tell it why I've got it. You know, like there's not a lot of things that scream out. I'm not 15 or 16 years old running around all the time, you know, knocking mm. things over and being a terror. Um, but then it was when I was talking to people, I realised that there was so many things that I was doing that weren't normal. So I was like, um, I was focusing so hard on their face, you know, thinking about the amount of eye contact I was making. Um, and funnily enough as well, they're, they're very similar symptoms that people uh, have when they're diagnosed with autism as well. They do share quite a lot of similar symptoms. They're a similar spectrum. Um, you know, yeah, I was focusing on what to, what to say next. You know, I wasn't thinking about that solely, but I was thinking I have to wait for them to stop and then I'll speak. You know, it's like a conversation is almost like a play mm. and you're trying to remember how to have one every time. It's, it's, it's a very strange thing, but I think a lot that's a shared thing amongst a lot of people with ADHD. Mm. And then you can focus on something like what hair colour they have and, you know, what... And it could be someone you've seen a million times, but it's just your brain is moved on to the next thing mm. and they're talking and you have to pull it back and think, right, this is a conversation. You know, it's... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 you mentioned earlier about how you feel quite safe to mention it to your friends, family, yeah. colleagues, people you meet, and that today's society is accepted a lot more, and people talk about these things a lot more. And um, would you say there's still sort of a negative perception of ADHD in society, or would you, would you say that's improved? Um, to be fair, and to not be too negative I don't think it's really improved okay I don't think it has I think um it's kind of it's a very ADHD people don't really realize it does impact your entire life it's not just oh I have a lot of energy you know and I have and and one thing that people constantly say to me is I'd never have said you have ADHD you know I've you don't seem like you have ADHD you know, and it's a similar thing to being to when people say, you don't seem gay, you don't seem disabled. Mm. You know what I mean? I wouldn't have said you were disabled. Mm. And it's, it's that hidden illness thing that you said, or hidden disability that you yeah. said. Almost like it's a compliment or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, you know, I'd never have said you have ADHD. And then I think, well, you know, who would, who would you say has ADHD? Mm. You know, and it shows how little people know. And it's, there is a stigma to it. And then, as well, the other thing that I that bothers me is when people say, I, I'm so ADHD, you know? Mm. And I'm like, what does that even mean? Yeah. And it's, it's another yeah. throwaway thing, like, when people say, I definitely, you know, I'm so OCD. And it's like, um, just because they cleaned the kitchen that morning, mm. you know? And, and they think, you're not, you don't, that's not what OCD is. That's not what ADHD is, you know? Oh, I'm... I'm doing so much this weekend, I have ADHD. You know, mm. it's, it's just a bit like, it's a, dis- it's a debilitating condition, mm. really. And it's, um, it's caused a lot of grief in my childhood, a lot of grief in adulthood, you know, and it's, it's not fun to be, set, to be told, you don't seem like you have it, you know. And it's, just, <laughs> like, it's just really frustrating. Yeah. And no one means harm when they say that, mm. I don't think. But it's, again, it's a, like a, an aggression in, so, in like a social saying that, you don't need mm. isn't helpful yeah definitely so we've still got some way to go in terms of raising awareness of yeah. ADHD and neurodiversity in, in general would you say 
Yeah, I think so. I think, um, <clears throat> I don't know, it's, it's hard for me to comment on as well because I just don't know where you'd begin as mm. well because it's, it's such a, there's so many different things that people experience and have and it's, it is difficult. And again, not to be too negative, but I think it is a part of human the human condition to say things like that and do mm. things like that. There is always, there as human beings, there is a degree of ignorance that I think will never, you can't shed. Mm. I think you can do, the, we could do our absolute best to educate and raise awareness. And I think there is already, I don't do enough of that, you know, and there's a lot of people that do so much for, you know, that kind of neurodiversity and, and ADHD generally. Um, like there's great charities out there and there's great networks of people out there that I'm not a part of, which I kind of always wish I was, but it's, yeah. Mm -hmm. definitely could do more yeah definitely mm -hmm. and no thank you so much for sharing that harry and i think it's really key your point there on ignorance almost and i think disability is just so complex and there's yeah. so many so much complexity in individual conditions and yeah. disabilities as well yeah and even myself so i'm a wheelchair user so i'm an expert on my own disability yeah but i know very little about you know lots of other disabilities out there really so sort of raising that awareness is really, really key to help others and to help workplaces and organisations too, yeah. to create a really inclusive environment. And final question from me before we wrap up, what advice would you give to your 10-year-old self? Um, <laughs> uh, I don't know, I've got to cry. <laughs> um, my advice to my 10-year-old self would probably be to... Um, I mean, it's difficult because a lot of the things I wish I hadn't done when I was 10, like in my behaviour and stuff, wasn't, was kind of out of my control. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Um, I think my advice would be that essentially you're not as alone as you feel, mm -hmm. you know, because I think I felt a lot of loneliness at that time. And mm. at 10, I was really... I was really the class clown and mm -hmm. I was the, the kid that made everybody laugh. You know, the kid that was a little bit too hyper that other kids, you know, would laugh at but maybe be a little bit frightened of as well because, you know, we all knew that crazy kid in class that was, you know, just frightened you a little bit but made you laugh at the same time. I was kind of like that and I, even though I'd seemed like I had a lot of friends, I was quite alone and I think that would be my advice is just, you know, I'd be more likely to give my 10-year-old self a hug than to you know, to give advice. But I didn't have a bad childhood. But mm -hmm. I just, yeah, it's a lonely experience sometimes getting diagnosed and stuff. And I think, yeah, that would be my advice. Mm -hmm. And also you're not going to win a, a Grammy. So just give up singing. <laughs> not yet. Not yeah, yet. Well, not yet, yeah. But, you know, <laughs> give that up. Focus on writing. <laughs> Don't try and be in a band. <laughs> yeah, that would be... So thank you so much, Harry, for being on the podcast today and sharing your unique story. Thank you for having me. No worries. And I'll see you at the next book club. Yeah, see you then. <laughs> so if any of our listeners would like to learn more about Disability Connect, please visit our website at disabilityconnect.org.uk or you can email us at info at disabilityconnect.org.uk and we are also on LinkedIn and Twitter. Thank you for listening and see you in the next podcast.